I drove out to a very unusual part of the country and I arrived on a very unusual compound and I knocked on the door and I waited to be let in. To some, I came across as if I knew it all or that I just had everything. When in reality, I was just raised to have a work ethic that set me apart. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Stroop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Jessica Hankin. And I'm Laura Wexler. This week on the podcast, Showdown. Two stories about women facing down formidable opponents. Before we get started, we want to thank the Park School, which is an independent co-ed, non-sectarian, progressive, pre-K through grade 12 school located just outside of Baltimore. Okay, so this first story is shared by a lovely woman named Wolf Bindu. Um, and Wolf um, has shared a story previously, maybe even two. I can't, I just remember the one where she um, was a young woman taking a ride on People's Express, which you will only remember if you are our age, um, and just a hilarious and surreal uh, travel story. Um, but in this tale, Wolf um, is sharing a bit about her life as a healer. So she's trained in sort of traditional medicine. She uses herbs. Um, she uses yoga, minerals, rituals, plants, art, um, a wide variety of kind of um, mediums to help people expand their own capacity to heal themselves. And so this is really, uh, well, it's a view of a world that's like a parallel universe um, where uh, that's kind of operating right in the midst of our, our sort of regular conventional universe. Take a listen. A woman came to my door one day. She was ailing physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. People come to my door. I'm a healer. I carry eight medicine bags. I'm well-trained in all kinds of energetic arts. And I was curious what was her problem. So I began her assessment, and while she was talking to me, she explained that she was working with a shaman. I was curious about this shaman. I had heard about him. And I asked if I could have his phone number so maybe we could work collaboratively and support this woman through her healing journey. I did call after she gave me the number, and I made an appointment to meet with this man. I drove out to a very unusual part of the country, and I arrived on a very unusual compound, and I knocked on the door, and I waited to be let in. I was brought into the room by one of his followers, and I was indicated to sit in a particular chair, and I just sat there for quite a long time, not sure what was going on, and eventually they said, go there. So I went into this smaller room, and there was a man sitting on the floor. He never looked at me. He was wearing a fedora hat. He was dark-skinned. He had lots of gold chains and medallions around his neck. He was puffing away and throwing some beads. I waited patiently while he finished throwing these beads, and then he inquired why had I come. And I explained to him that I had come because I wanted to work collaboratively and support this woman, and I knew he had been working with her. And he said, well, we might be able to do that, but first you have to be cleared. So I agreed to whatever this clearance might be, and I was slightly curious anyway. I'm a kind of curious cat. 
And I thought, okay, I will go through this experience. This is a short period of time, but a very intense period of time, about five, six months. And I began to undergo some very unusual things. And I had occasion to be a little concerned and began to wonder whether or not our paths were quite similar. And we weren't yet working with this woman. However, he did ask me one day, would I like to work with him and be trained by him because I could become a better healer? And I indicated that I thought and felt I was already quite an effective healer. And he said that many of the things that I did were not allowable for women to do. And I said, well, I have studied and trained all over the world and taught. And no one has objected to teaching me as a woman. And so I'm going to resist further training from you. And then at some point in time, he invited me out to his home to work with his ailing son. This was his favorite son. And um, he and his wife were leaving, but he left me under the eyes of all of these other followers. I went into the kitchen and I went through their meager supplies and I mixed up poultices and teas and some balms and salves and applied them regularly and sweat his son and his son did recover. I didn't realize that this was going to be a problem for me, having successfully shown him what I could do, and I was excited to share what I had done. Shortly later, a command came, and it was basically I had to crawl on my knees and get to him, and it was like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know what that means. I came to the compound again, And I was shown into the sitting room again. And I had my little basket of things that you give always to a shaman. And they took me into the really scary initiation room where there were lots of dead animals and guns and knives and all kinds of images and some really huge statues. And he was sitting in the corner puffing on that cigar, throwing those beads. Now, I know by now what those beads mean, if it's a yes or a no, but I don't know what the question is. But I have a sense of foreboding, and I give him my gifts. And he takes those gifts, and he flings them across the room, and he goes, I don't want anything from you. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And I'm sitting on the chair, and he's throwing those beads. And then I look right across from me on the wall was a dead bird with a knife in its heart bleeding all over my name and my name written in blood. And he looks at me for one moment and he says, you've been stealing souls. And I laughed because I thought he was making a joke, but he wasn't making a joke. And he got really Richter and frozen hard. And he said, it's very serious. You've been stealing souls. And you'll have to do a lot of work to undo that. And I said, I'm really sorry, but I absolutely am not stealing souls. That's not my business. My business is to heal and to teach. And I don't do those kinds of things. And he said, you have three days to make up your mind. And I said, well, I cannot support it. I've taught and trained and healed people all over this world. There's no way I'm bringing them all back from all these different parts to you. I said, I really respect your work. However, I have felt for some time that you and I walked 
different paths. I walk with love and a sense of returning and restoration of healing to the person. You walk with a lot of power, a lot of control, and it's based on fear. And I do respect it, but I don't think we can continue walking. There was this freeze in the room, and he picked up his gun, and he said, get her the hell out of here before I kill her. And I shook, and I stood there, and I walked up to the door, and I stood at the door, and I said, for all those who can see me, for all those who can hear me, I stand for love and healing. And for all those who I cannot see, for all those who I cannot hear, but you can see me and you can hear me, I stand for love and for healing. And he said, get her out of here before I kill her. I walked to the door and I got in my car and I left. I thought of what Martin Luther King had pointed out once. He said, if a person hasn't discovered what they will die for, then they're not fit to live. I'm fit. I find myself so fascinated by the idea of this, like, leader leading this compound, like, somewhere in, like, suburban Maryland and, like, um, you know, doing all these really I don't know, like unusual things while the rest of us are just like going to the Walmart down the street, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the suburbs are full of mystery. So (laughs) (laughs) that's so true. That's so true. And I love, I love this, this way that like this experience of being challenged could have caused Wolf to like cower to like step back and instead it caused her to step into herself and to really claim her own power which is the best you can hope for when a bully is picking on you Uh, before we get to the next story i'm going to thank mend acupuncture which is named best place to get poked in baltimore they offer low stress acupuncture starting at 35 dollars a session to tell them we sent you Okay, so our next storyteller, um, who was in a showdown of her own, is um, Tracy Akane. She is uh, the Assistant Director of Innovation and Impact at Johns Hopkins Carey Business School, and is part of the um, Women in Business organization that actually sponsored the show um, in which she shared the story. Um, She's just... uh, really powerful, inspiring woman. And um, we are happy that you get to listen to her story. Here you go. I am the daughter of Nigerian immigrants. And in my culture, you have three life options. You're either a doctor, an engineer, or a doctor. (laughs) And so my path was doctor. Um, And I thought this was for me, but that was until I got my first C in biology in undergrad. And very quickly I learned, okay, this is not the path for me. It's just, it's not my ministry, okay? So I was on a path to figuring out what was next. I changed my major to communications with an emphasis in PR and a minor in nonprofit management. Graduated in 2011, and out of fear, I took the very first job I was offered because I was not about to go back home after college without a job. 
And so with that, this job was as a call center manager of um, teams that um, answered calls for customers shopping online. And this was for a major national retailer. And so with this job, fast forward three years later, I had worked my way up. I had did very well for myself, especially being a millennial and staying in my first job for well over three years. Um, <laughs> I was promoted laterally and asked to be a part of the C team to start up the third call center site in Dallas. And while this was an opportunity to network and to move into new areas and also to get back into PR, little did I know that this would be the saddest time for me in my personal and professional life. In this new role, I truly struggled. I struggled, struggled, struggled. Many of my peers and a lot of the leaders were very numbers-oriented and led with authority. I did not. Many of them had started from the ground up in the call center environment and worked their way up, and here I was, this recent college grad. To some, I came across as if I knew it all or that I just had everything, when in reality, I was just raised to have a work ethic that set me apart. My philosophy in management was that it's more important to know your people and get to know them on an individual level, get to know their motivations, what their goals are, help them to achieve those goals in every capacity that you can. It's much less about managing the job function as it is more managing people. And because of this fact, my team was very successful. I realized that if you do this and work for people, they will work for you. My team was top performing, top engaging consistently. And this fact triggered one particular manager. We're going to call him Harold. <laughs> because I didn't report to Harold, and because of these things that I strove to do for my team and for my managers, I became a target. So in any instance that Harold could put me on the spot, talk down to me, make me miss out on opportunities that clearly I wanted and desired, he would do. Pit my other peers against me in ways where they thought less of me or thought that I was out to get them. This started to chip away at my confidence. Every moment I had, I second-guessed myself if I was capable, if I was able. The same person that was asked to be in this position, that was asked to start up this new site and bring that tenure, Suddenly it was gone. I didn't know who I was. I had lost confidence in myself. So with that, as I continued to try and strive and push forward, I realized it was time to go. I couldn't take it anymore. I was tired of working one to 10. I was tired of being overlooked, left out, unaccounted for. I was tired of crying. And so with that, ultimately, it hit me. I didn't even go to college for this role. So it was time for me to go. I firmly believe that God put me in that position because ultimately, if I kept promoting and kept going forward, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so with that, on my way out, it was very bittersweet. My team definitely sent me well on my way. And surprisingly, people from other teams and other departments came and thanked me 
gave me gifts. I even got a standing ovation at our end of month celebration. And it showed me that despite how dark in a place that I felt, I still managed to leave an impact. And so with that, I left my contact information for my team and let them know if you need anything, anything at all, a reference, if you need to vent, I'm here for you. And on top of that, on my way out, in my exit interview, I spoke about the good things that happened and also the challenging times and how many of those times included Harold. But I noticed that while everything else I mentioned was documented, nothing I said about Harold was. Okay. So now it's 2016, and I moved back home to Houston and took a new job as a nonprofit account manager um, for nonprofit organizations in Houston. And I was happy. I was moving forward. I was preparing next steps to get into grad school. And everything was good until I got a phone call from Edna. Now, Edna was one of my youngest people on my team. She was super smart, studying to be a nurse, um, sometimes on her phone too often. Uh, but she took care of her customers very well. But Edna was crying. And she proceeded to tell me that she was just sexually harassed by Harold. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to receive this information because the same area that I tried so hard to leave and move away from was now pulling me back. And so she proceeded to tell me what happened and apparently it started with the game of basketball. They had just came out of their peak holiday season, and in the break game room area, um, there was a basketball goal. And so they had a bet of whoever won got what they wanted. If she won, she got what she wanted. If he won, he got what he wanted. She's thinking, you know, I'm going to get a free break pass. And so when she wins, he asked her to come back to his office. And while she's planning to get whatever she thinks is rightfully due to hers, the conversation very quickly changes. And he starts to ask her about her dating life, if she has a boyfriend, if she's a virgin, if he can have her phone number so he can take her out on a date to a strip club, if she's into oral sex. He even took pictures of her at his desk. So disgusting and wildly inappropriate. He took advantage of Edna knowing that he's four times her size, higher up in rank, and just forced her to sit there trapped in fear, not knowing what to do, what to say, if her job is on the line, just praying for someone to show up so that she could leave. And sure enough, someone comes, and finally she's gone, and that's where we're at in the conversation. And as she's telling me this, my heart just starts to break. Because then I start to go back to that place where he cornered me and made me feel less than. And I don't like feeling like that because I worked so hard to build myself back up and to not be in that place anymore. And I only can imagine how she feels because it's Harold. And so many people had their Harold encounter. 
then I start to get angry. Because anyone that knows me knows that I go hard for my people. You come for me, my family, my friends, anyone I genuinely care about, you better be ready. So at that moment, then it was very clear to me I had to do something big. I had to do something bold because he had people covering for him. He had people covering for him, allowing him to do whatever he said or wanted to do. I knew I also had to do something bold because Edna's depending on me. Of all the managers there, she called me. I don't work there anymore. I don't even live in the same city anymore. How am I supposed to support her or guide her through this process? So I knew I had to do something for her, and I had to go to the top. Not my level of management past when I was there or or my, my boss at the time when I was there, and certainly not HR who didn't document anything I said when I left. So I had to go to the top. I reached out to the senior vice president of the entire division, not just of that call center, but of all three call centers. Luckily, I had a rapport with him based off of my movement between different sites. So I sent him an email, and I told him that I had information about an associate who was being sexually harassed and that he needed to call me as soon as possible. And a day goes by, and nothing happens. And immediately, I'm like, oh, my gosh, did I, maybe he doesn't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm no longer credible because I don't work there anymore. Or maybe, maybe he's one of the other people covering for him. Another day goes by, and by the grace of God, I get a phone call from him. He happened to be traveling out of the country, and as soon as he landed in the airport, he got my email. He proceeded to thank me for this information because, to my surprise, he had been hearing reports about Harold. And this information fell right in line with what he was hearing. And I told him I reached out to him for a very specific reason. Because my expectation is that this is taken very seriously, that a proper and thorough investigation is had. And that the pressure that was resting on my shoulders now is resting on his. And he promised me he would take care of it. So when I talked to Edna, I just encouraged her to speak from her heart and to tell her truth. That everything that's supposed to happen will happen and that I'm here for her. And so she interviewed with HR and they proceeded to tell her that she needed to stay home for a couple of days until they finished the investigation. And on her day that she returned, by lunchtime, he was gone. Just like that. He was gone. They pulled everybody off the phones to make the announcement, and everyone was in shock. Because it was one of those settings and environments where everybody knew what was going on, but nothing visibly was happening, and he was gone. And that taught me that it's so important to speak up, 
It's so important to tell your truth, to be honest, even when it looks like nothing will happen, even when others are speaking against you. You owe it to yourself to always speak up. Some time had passed and a lady actually at work came up to Edna one day and asked her, are you the girl that got Harold fired? And immediately Edna's just frozen. And the lady proceeds to thank her because the same thing happened to her. And no one reported it. No one took her serious. With this situation, Edna now is pursuing a path in HR. And she's allowing this experience to drive her in a positive direction because she knows that this is important. And I know this is important. I knew, I just wanted so badly for a different outcome for Edna in this type of scenario that unfortunately happens all too often. In the end, I realized that while getting justice for Edna was one thing, in that same respect, I also got justice for myself. And in situations that are painful like this, I realized that above all, it's important to take your pain and turn them into purposeful actions and see where it takes you. Thank you. What I love is that Tracy has left this, you know, this professional situation because she wanted a better place, but that she was able to help coach and sort of kind of intervene to make this, even though she wasn't there anymore, to make the place better for those who came after. Yeah. I mean, she's just got a heart of gold, and um, and that was clear from the very beginning of her story when she talked about how she how she approaches leadership just through empathy and caring. Yes, that was great. Well, thank you for listening today to our show about showdowns. We love a good showdown, especially when the good guy, or in this case, the good gal, wins. We want to thank Wine Source, a wonderful wine, beer, and snack supplier located at 3601 Elm Avenue in Hamden. And we want to thank Golden West, a omni restaurant with a vegan forward menu. They're also in Hamden and they have delicious Southwestern food and a late night carry out window. Please visit stoopstorytelling.com to learn about our upcoming events, or you can listen to stories from our archive. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. Thank you to Maureen Harvey for producing, to y'all for listening, and we'll be back soon with more stories from the Stoop. Take care.